Brother, do you know 17K from Crossing Broad? Uh, I do not know him, no. Yeah, he's a person. Well, I know who he is. 17K. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> anyway. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Monday. We interrupt your C.J. Gardner-Johnson Philadelphia Eagles nonsense for a brief moment to talk about your Philadelphia Union who dropped a horrendous, ugly, ghastly, uh, atrocious, abhorrent, I don't know, pick whatever synonym you want to want to use to talk about that game in Montreal at the Big O on Saturday night. They lost 3-2. to two. Uh, after going down a man um joining us to talk about that and diagnose it and uh find out what exactly went wrong returning to the program it's chris gibbons from the all three points podcast and philly soccer page chris what's going on man i saw you tweeting about it on saturday night so you were watching you were watching in real time the same uh same nonsense i was watching i was i think the magic of being a philadelphia sports fan is you can't just lose games you have to lose them in the most impossible ways possible every single time you're not allowed to just lose you can't just lose a super bowl you can't just lose a world series you can't just lose mls cup you can't just lose at montreal it's like let's write a list of things that would never happen and make sure that's the way that you lose yeah you know it's funny because i've been doing this for so long doing sports for so long that i don't you know i don't really watch it like a fan anymore so i don't really get emotionally high i don't really get emotionally low it's it's made it easier it's maybe it's like a protective mechanism to make sure i still enjoy what i'm doing but when those two goals went in the other night i was like i i got up off the couch i think i like hit the table on the on the one which is weird because i'm not i'm not like super invested in like i want them to be good and i want them to win but i'm i've um, had a throwback to like 10 years ago when I was like a, you know, uncultured, like watching my college team or something, you know, where I felt like personally invested because just, because it was just such a crappy way to lose, to make it, to make it that far into the game and then lose that way. Right. You know, it's not that, like you're saying, it's not that they lost, it's how they lost. You yeah. Know? Because and, you know, you go down a man on the road, you know exactly what the opposition is going to do. They're going to push everybody forward. They're just going to hit 1 million crosses into your box and as long as you can clear the crosses, you'll go away with a win. And it just happened exactly the way that it was going to happen. And they scored two. I mean, yeah, yeah. terrible. Yeah. Just terrible. Well, let's go. Instead of going, usually we go in chronological. Let's go in reverse chronological order because I think that's what's on everybody's mind to begin with. We can start with, uh, let, let's just let's just take our pick of the two goals, the equalizer and the game winner where crosses come into the box. They're not really, uh, you know, set for it. The marking is kind of loose. I, I guess we can... Um, Let's start with the second goal and the VAR and the ball coming off the bar and and kind of kind of walk through that one because I watched it a, a bunch of times back and I did the video breakdown for Twitter and um, you know I, I think the the important content there's a, a bunch of little pieces of context here. Number one is they had they had gone to five at the back right and uh, Damian Lowe was on the field at that point. There's a cross that comes in loose marking. He's not really on anybody. Olivia Baez is not really on anybody. Ball comes off ahead, hits a crossbar. Uh, 04 knocks in the rebound. So that's the one consideration that their gaps were a little bit off there. They weren't really picking up guys. You go from four to five, it's a little different. You got to point out assignments. The other part is that some people thought that Jacob Glessness was tripped up, maybe might have been fouled um, off the back end by 04. That was not whistled. Then you had two VAR <laughs> reviews at the same time where they went back and they originally ruled the goal out. Then they went back to, or, or they ruled the goal off. They went back to VAR again and they said, no, we got it wrong. And they got, and they gave them credit for the goal. So there's three different caveats, components of that whole thing. But what, what's, what's most on your mind when you go back and you think about that one in particular? You know, you and I are defenders, 
by soccer training. So the first thing I look at is what the defenders do. So they went to five in the back. When you go to five in the back, you're trying to do a couple things. Obviously, just like get more guys in the back. But in the case that a team's pushing three up or pushing four up, you're trying to get everybody marked with at least one guy free to help clear the space. So if it's two, if it's two attackers, right, you've got a free center back, another two other guys who can help. In this case, I think it was three attackers. So everybody should have had a mark, and there should have been two guys who were free to, to get the ball. If you look at that goal, you've got low and you've got Glessness sort of in no man's land, and you've got Mbizo on the far post behind his mark. So like everybody's in a bad spot which for me is far more important than was there a foul? Did it hit the bar? Was he offside? He wasn't offside. Kai Wagner held him on. It's clear as day when you look at the replay. Um, and so like all of that stuff, the incidental stuff, Glesnitz getting tripped, to me that's like maybe the union get lucky every now and then and get that call and don't worry about it. If you control what you can control, which is did you mark your man? Did you win the header? The answer is no. So union fans should be very frustrated. Jim Curtin should be very very frustrated, but it shouldn't be with Joe Bendick, it should not be with the referee, despite how calamitous that review process actually was. It should start with the center backs. They lost their marks on this thing. And I think you wrote about this on Twitter too. Like it is exactly this play that lost Olivier Mbizo his job two years ago. So if we're looking at this, he's done this now it's a couple times in this game. Like, will we see him the next time the union's full strength or will it be Nate Harrell? We don't know, but this is exactly why he lost his job after the Eastern Conference final deal and then the first game the following season. You know, one of the things that I beat to death on Crossing Broad is, you know, the concept of more than one thing can be true, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, we can say that maybe they the refs botched it and they turned that into a clown show at the VAR. Maybe there was... Maybe there was a foul there on Glessis, maybe not. Um, we could take all these things into consideration. But you're right. I mean, if you control what you're capable of controlling, which is just making sure you put a body on all these guys, then none of that would come into play. We wouldn't be talking about VAR, double VAR review. We wouldn't be talking about whether Glessis was fouled, you know. And I think it's like you say, you know, Olivier has been pretty good this year. But the one glaring weakness, he's and he's a good defender on the feet when the ball's on the ground. It's just those balls coming in, uh, in the air where he's not even uh, – you know, he just doesn't seem to be, you know, as uh, you, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, play those with strength. He doesn't play those with leverage. You know, he kind of gets muscled off the ball. And, you know, it's weird because the center backs got to communicate on that stuff too. Glessness is on the wrong side originally too. He tries to get goal side. That's when he gets tripped up trying to get into position. Damian Lowe is just kind of hovering. He doesn't right. take the guy. I thought he would. Andres Perea is behind the bias. and he's supposed to be on the guy behind him. But even then he's not close enough to his guy. If the ball would have gone over his head. So, just kind of the, just kind of that weird thing where it's like, you know, it, how, how do you go? I, I was always taught that you go like inside to out, right? You know, so the okay. center backs communicate, hey, you're here, you're here, you're here, push, and then we're going to push out one by one, right? And everybody's going to 1v1 off of me. So I don't know. These are bang, bang kind of plays. I get it. Those balls come in quick. But, you know, if nothing else, man, turn and get your head up and just find somebody. You know, just grab a body on it. And, and that's what, what bothered me. Um, to the VAR review itself, look, here's here's – I think we all agree, like – if I well, let me ask you like a rhetorical question here. What's what's the one thing that we want out of refs more than what's the only thing that we want out of out of refs? I think we want them to to be out of the way. Like we want to make sure that the game happens and the thing we not, we're talking about is not the referee. Right, right. And to that point, if they here's my thing. It's like if, if that was a shit show, them going back to it and and looking at it and whatever. And originally, I thought they were looking at whether Glessons was fouled or not. Because they didn't have, because the the broadcast team didn't seem to have any idea either. And then, we, and then we see Kai Wagner is off um, camera, and he's the one who's playing him on side. So they must uh, they must not have seen that originally. But I don't. I, I at the end of the day, I I can't care about any of that if they got it right. 
if, if they got the play right. Because what's what's the what's the difference? People are saying, oh, they can't go back and review it again. But if they said, oh, we can't do it a second time, the wrong call would have been finalized, right? So if yeah. Union fans were – put yourself in Montreal shoes. If, if, if we were Montreal fans, we would be livid if that was overturned because ultimately it, it, it took them – it was a clown show to get there, but they ultimately got it right at the end of the day. And then more than anything, I just want them to be right. Well, so like my, my two things on this. Yes, I'm 100% with you. The offside rule says Kai Wachner is involved in the play and holding those two guys on side. I think that's worth reviewing the rule, right? If we're going to talk about things that we wish should happen, like he yeah. has no involvement in that play at that point. Should he be included in the offside line in the same way that an attacker who would be over there would not be included in the offside line? Hmm. That's neither here nor there. The rules apply correctly. The other thing about the changing shape, though, before we move on, is like when Union played at Atlanta a couple years ago, right before Gabriel Hinza got fired, Atlanta moved to five in the back to try and make sure that the Union wouldn't get a goal. And they left all the space in the midfield because when they did that, as you said, nobody talked to each other. They didn't defend inside out. They just sort of stood there and left their marks open. Jacob Glesnus scored that 40-yard banger that hit the crossbar three times. Like, yeah. Anytime you change formation, the most important thing that happens is that when you change it, everybody remembers what their new job is. And it's so much more difficult than I think people realize. And so to put an extra defender on to, to save a lead might be logically correct or like correct in the video game world where you just add everybody in and then change the settings and everybody's good to go. But in the 90th minute of a match when you've been playing basically five years in the exact same way and you're supposed to switch everybody's assignments all of a sudden, it's that's a pretty difficult ask for everybody. Yeah, it is. And like to to Mbizo, I'll try to throw Mbizo a point here. We'll do the Ray Gattis rule, but, you know, which is that if you say <laughs> something negative about somebody, you got to say something positive about him, right? You know, he's playing the whole game and buys it knowing that his his assignment, his mark is off Jacob Glesson's right shoulder. When Damian Lowe comes in, now his mark is off Lowe's right shoulder. So Perea is in there um, as well. And when you go look at the body, when you count the bodies that were in there on that second goal on the play, they got enough bodies to compensate for it. So if Lowe was shifting off and was on his guy, Perea was was one over, and Bizer wouldn't have had to mark anybody. Right. But he's got to remember, like, hey, I'm not like Glesson's is not to my left anymore. Like Lowe is right. the next guy. We're fanning out. Right, and we're playing five, and and so it's it's it does like those those wrinkles do do matter, you know, and they, and they make a difference, you know, um, you know, on the third goal, then I, you know, because he was looking for a foul, and he's on his butt, and he's throwing his hands up and looking at the ref, and like originally, I went back and watched, watched it a bunch of times, like maybe he got a stiff arm here, maybe he didn't, he really didn't, man. I mean, he he you watch the same thing so. I watch, he he had. He was ball side. He had inside leverage. That's everybody's favorite NFL term these days, leverage. Like it's very popular to talk about leverage. All it means is that you're on the right side of, of the play, right? Yeah. And I, I looked to me like, um, you know, the guy, I can't even remember, was it Kyoto? Who just kind of. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah who just kind of, it wasn't even much of a stiff arm. He kind of detached and, and did a swim move with his left arm over him. And it made it look like there was contact there. But Olivier's in the right position, man. He's just got to be stronger there. That's all, you know? So I didn't, I didn't really... I don't really see much to that. No, I didn't either. And I think if you're going to put low on there, you know, next time, instead of moving to five in the back, just say we're going to keep our shape, except instead of having uh, two strikers, we're going to have one and low. You just stand with Kyoto. Go with him everywhere. You're the only guy who matches up with him physically. Like He's going to throw everybody off. I don't know. But look, yeah. credit to the guy, right? He got the leverage, the couple perfect balls, and then a, a lot more effort than the union back line made. That's yeah, and that's it. all. Sometimes that's all that comes down to it. Um, but I, I mean, again, it's the thing with Olivia. You know, it's not. It, it's it's funny because you know some guys are just cursed with this thing where it's like they don't mess up very often. 
but when they do, they get their money's worth. You know what that's I mean? Right. And, it's, and then that's him, man, because they seem to come at bad times. They come late in games. Um, you know, I remember the 2021 semifinals where, ironically, he was the only starter on the field because they had Colin and Finley and I guess Nate Harriel was playing left back in that game or something back. like that. And that was the thing that was most frustrating to me. I want to reach through the TV screen and just grab him and be, hey, man, you're the you're – the, the experienced guy, like you're the starter, you're the veteran here, you know, and and I think in that game he let that ball bounce and then kind of just lost out on it. So that's the frustrating thing. And, and now Jim Curtin's probably thinking like, hey, you know, I've done this before where I've put Nate Harriel in over in Bison. I mean, does he do it again? And here's what's wild about that. Like the union are so right-sided in attack. Like if you, I'm actually writing about this right now. So if you look at their attack, they go forward on the right side like 50% of the time versus central and central and left. So yeah. Mbizo is absolutely crucial to that. But to your point, it doesn't matter if he contributed 50 assists and 100 goals. If he gets beat on two on the other end, Jim Curtin's going to say, and union fans are going to say, yeah, but your first job is to play defense. And you didn't play defense, and yeah. so you can't play anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Jim's been consistent saying that over the years that, that he considers fullbacks defenders first, you know, some people don't, some people don't. I mean, like how much, how much defense does, uh, did prime Danny Alves play for, for Barcelona? No, I mean, he was like, he was spent probably half the game playing on the other side of the field, you know, playing above the, above midfield. But, um, that's a, that's a glaring thing in Olivier's game. And, you know, the, the first time he was benched and they platooned, him and Harriel came early in the season. So maybe that's something they can do here. I know that they've got a lot of games coming up. They've got Champions League. So maybe Jim can work that in kind of naturally. Uh, but it's another decision he's going to have to make. Um, I will tell you one thing. The blessing of having Andre Blake back there for all these years has helped this podcast a lot. Because I don't know anything about goalkeeping. I feel like I can talk like pretty well about most positions on the field. I don't know anything about goalkeeping. I can't talk about it at a high level. But... <laughs> I'm I'm not and to the point I'm not going I'm not going to kill Joe Bendick here because I think I would just say this I think the union come out of that 2-2 at the at worst if Andre's on the field and that's not it's not even a knock on Joe Bendick it's just a, a um a commentary on how good Andre is because I think he may have got a hand to that first one and tipped it over the bar, or he may have even just saved the second one outright. Um, you yourself are not a goalkeeper as well. What, what's When you look at both of those, you look at Bendik, do you think Andre makes that big of a difference? I don't know specifically on those two goals, right? I think in both cases, if you lose your mark on the back post and the keeper's trying to slide over, you're in trouble. Maybe Blake makes that say, but you're in trouble nine times out of ten. If the ball gets caromed and your keeper's on the ground, and your defenders are all ball, ball watching, you're in trouble too. So like maybe. Um, to me, it's a lot like backup quarterback syndrome. Like as soon as the starting quarterback goes down, all the people in the stands who were like, yeah, you should have played the backup quarterback this whole time. It's like, yeah, but dude, now we got to play the backup quarterback. So, you know, let's find out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah Gardner, Gardner, Gardner Minshew, Minshew mania. I mean, he like he looked pretty good down in Dallas and then threw up a uh, threw up a nothing, a nothing burger against the Saints, you know? Right. And like, you know, I grew up in state college, so I'm like a Penn State guy. Like everybody wanted Drew Aller last year. It's like, I get it. Five star freshman, tons of potential. I get that you're, you know, you've got this guy that you don't like. He's still a freshman. He still hasn't done anything. And when he comes in the game, he looks like a guy with a ton of potential. Yeah. And so, like, to me, it's the same thing. But I, I will say, Andre Blake has had a series of really talented goalkeepers behind him, all of whom have had to move on because mm-hmm. he's better. Like, McMath, Mboli, 
uh, Freeze, uh, John McCarthy. Like this, it's a long yeah. list of dudes. And there used yeah. to be a, a T-shirt that you could buy for the union that had a list of all their goalkeepers on it. And I always <laughs> wanted that shirt. Yeah, uh, it was like uh, I, I can't even remember half of them. But like, yeah, Fareed was on there. Chase Harrison, I think, was one. <laughs> Sylvester, uh, <laughs> Brian, uh, Brian Trent Holder. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you, you like Andre Blake is the best goalkeeper in the league. He has been for five years. Joe Bendix in a situation where he he probably can't start most places in MLS, like maybe four or five places he could start, but he can be among the four or five best backups in MLS if you're just looking at distribution of keepers. But that means like he's he's a twenty five or thirty keeper ranking away from Andre Blake in the league. Yeah. So yeah, the drop off's going to be big. Yeah, I mean it is what it is. I I don't I, nobody. Nobody should be surprised by that. It's like going from Jalen Hurts to Gardner Minshew. It's like going from Donovan McNabb to Jeff Garcia, except for that one stretch of games. You know one I mean? That was a good stretch. It was a very good stretch. Yeah, maybe that's not the best example. Maybe it's more like going to Kevin Cobb or something like that. But uh, yeah, I don't think anybody should be, should be surprised. But again, I don't. I don't know enough about goalkeeping to like to kill. Joe Bendick and and I'm not. I mean, like it's a ball comes off the crossbar, bounces right in front of it. Is would maybe Andre gets there and tips it over, maybe he doesn't. Like I can't say for sure. I just have this like unexplainable thing where I feel like Andre's good for at least one amazing save a game, and I just don't think Bendick's going to give you that like one amazing save or amazing player, amazing. But even on the third one too, man. Just to touch on this real quick, that ball was out swinging. But yeah. it did land on the six, and I don't, I don't know. Maybe Andre comes and punches that. Maybe he even comes and claims it. I would love to have like an actual goalkeeping expert on the show to tell me like what they think about that. But I, I that's that was a thought that I had as well. There, um, there was a goal like in Bendix's first Union game, which I, I guess maybe 2020, 2021. They were at Columbus. It was the same kind of outswinging ball that that kind of put you in the keeper anyway, like in that frame of mind where you uh, might get it, you might not. He didn't come out. Columbus scored. I think they won the game. People are killing bending. It's like, look, Andre Blake is superhuman. If he gets to that ball, he's the one keeper in MLS who gets to that ball. So like to kill yes. Bendick that he can get there. Come on, man. That, that's sort of, he's doing his job. He, he doesn't have the same skill set that Blake does. That's why one of them is starting and one of them is not starting. That's what, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And that's why this is so hard to talk about because I, I think that the rule that the general like rule set for goalkeepers just does not apply to Andre because he's that good. So if you're going to say like, Hey, I'm going to come for a ball that's like inside the six or like right around five. Okay. Every, every goalkeeper would come do that. Andre, the rules are probably different. Maybe I can get it at seven. Maybe I can get it if it's out swinging and it's on the on the back end, on the back post. You know, so it's 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 impossible for me to sit here and like parse any of that because guys just playing a, a different game really than than other goalkeepers are. So I don't. I, again, I just want people to understand. I'm not like killing. I'm not going to kill Joe Bendick because I think it's less about him being poor and more about Andre just being that good. And and that's the take. And that's always going to be the take as long as he's out, you know, um, I guess burying the lead too. like, they don't get to this point if Carranza doesn't get that red card. And I know there's not a lot of contact in that, but you got to be smart. I mean, strikers just drive me crazy when they go in and do that stuff like that, because it's just a low, a low risk uh, or low reward kind of play anyway. He kept, he kept getting warned. He kept going in on these late fouls. He kept being chippy. The first yellow, you can shake your fist all you want to that he didn't make contact. I don't think he did make contact, but at that point, it was like his sixth or seventh foul. Yeah. And the defender sold it as every union defender would have done had the roles been reversed. So like, yeah, the first yellow is soft. But at that point, if I'm a referee and the dude's been warned a bunch of times and, and, and gotten six fouls, it's like, listen, here's the last warning. 
That was dumb. Don't do that. And then a few minutes later, he does almost exactly the same Same thing, except except he connects with them this time. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could say like, oh, Jim Curtin should have brought on, you know, Chris Donovan instead to to stave off that. But you got to assume that a professional soccer player can keep his head every now and then. And he couldn't. And it was it was a terrible, you know, Peter Andrews texted me at managing editor of our site. He's like, Mm Carranza lost in the game. That's it. Well, I mean, and, and here's the thing, too. The coach should look if, if uh, you know, Jose Martinez can walk the line better than anybody for for 10, 20, 30 minutes, like every single game, then like it's yeah. not too much to ask Carranza. I know strikers are wired differently and they don't they don't necessarily think like that. They don't think about the they're not playing the game with like defense and fouls and infringement, like at the forefront of their mind. But at the same time, you you cost your team just like anybody anybody else would. So I think that's what bothers me about it, you know, because that mentality has typically been shared by everybody on the team, and it seemed like he was the outlier for this game at least. Um, yeah, it was a bummer too because they, play, they played some of their best. Honest to God, I thought after that first penalty, they played some of their best, you know, soccer of the season from minute five to minute, you know, 65 or whatever. You know, the Ua goals were fantastic. I mean, they, they, you know, if they held off of that 2-1, that would have been the story. We'd all be talking about Mikel Ua fi- finally found his form this year. Yeah. Looked like it looked like 50% Sebastian Latou and 50% Pippo and Zaghi on that second goal, you know? And it was deja vu for a while, too, because last year it was Ua's first game with the team in Montreal. Yeah. He missed both of his chances that were like that last year. And people are like, oh, well. breakaway that he hit right at the, yeah. 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 So it was a bit of deja vu. And then Carranza gets the red. And you're like, he got a red last year, too. Like, this is all over again. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, no, I, I thought so, too. I thought they were as balanced as they've been all year. So, again, I'm writing about this right now. They're super right-sided all the time. Tomorrow I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a piece that has sort of them being actually balanced. Like Kai Wagner spent more time in the final third than he has basically at all in the last two or three seasons with the union. Like they were yeah. ready. They, they saw something, they were pushed forward. They were possessing the ball really well. Um, I thought that this is sort of an aside. I thought the turf was terrible. If mm-hmm. the turf had played at all reasonably, I think the union would have had even more possession, but the, the ball was slow. It had weird bounces. It's sort of like stuck when it hit the ground. It's just ugly, ugly, ugly. You could tell that I think Tannenwald had reported that they had just replaced the turf there. They just laid new turf. But you could see you've played on enough of it, man. You see like the black uh, little pieces flying up every time it was rolling. You know, yeah. I got like nightmares of like pulling those out of my underwear as I'm doing the, the laundry or whatever. Right. Every single time they hit something with any kind of pace, like you see the black. It's terrible. Black come up and roll up. And I could you could tell that they had just rolled it because like those pieces were were flying flying everywhere and it just it, it seemed like it rolled slow but um yeah I, I i don't know the big o is another thing too where it just drives this is another i don't want to get off on a whole tangent here but everybody who says well we got to go to the fifa calendar whatever you have teams that can't even play in their own stadium for the first like month month and a half you know so how can, how can you tell me that like you know no team should have to play at two different stadiums because of the, because of the weather Right. I mean, like on this, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. The fact that the union have had to play the big O like three or four times down the last like five or six years just just bothers me, you know, because we, yeah. we should be getting these getting these guys off of turf as, as much as we can. Um, just the last thing on this game, the Glessis penalty. I don't know. Any dis- any dispute there? No, none at all. And Glessis didn't even seem phased by it. He was like, yeah, hit my hand. Honestly, yeah. you know, if you think about like um, – uh, uh, Luis Suarez against Ghana in the World Cup a couple cycles ago. He got a red card at the end of that game for what was almost the same as what Glesnus did. If you recall, yeah. Ghana had a shot. He blocked it with his hand. Ghana got a penalty and they missed it. So he got sent off with a red, but Uruguay ended up winning the game anyway because they won on penalties, I think. 
So honestly, I kind of felt like, no, yellow's not bad. Glesnitz definitely had his hand outside yeah. his body, and it was just unlucky. I know it could have been worse. It could have been worse because it definitely changed the flight of the ball. And like, I, I, I don't remember seeing a back angle replay of it, but I'm like, no, that may have been, may have been going in otherwise. Um, I think it was definitely, I think it was definitely going in because Bendik was just sort of frozen. Didn't, didn't seem to know much about it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, let me see if I had any other notes about that one. No, no, I was just going to say I, the broadcast was not very good. Um, First one of the Apple era that I've watched, and like this is, I'm just talking Union games here. I've watched a couple others from other games that were a little spotty here and there. But I mean, for the first three games, I thought the Apple broadcasts are pretty good. Yeah. You know, I thought they had, they got the action. You know, the commentary is pretty good. This one seemed to be all over the place a little bit. I mean, there was a lot of cutaways. They missed the red card straight up. Uh, they didn't know what the broadcasters didn't seem to know what was going on during the VAR um, replay. They were just weird, kind of single camera shots. Um, you lots know, of weird some names yeah. that were messed up yeah lots of weird cutaways lots of messed up names uh tons and tons of time during live action spent away from the field i i don't understand why like i think i had picture in a picture when i was eight years old like we had to pay the cable company extra for it but like for a year we had picture in a picture <laughs> yeah. i don't understand why if you want to show us jim Curtin sitting on the sideline doing nothing you can't also show us live action it's like we live in the future, man. We're, we're landing rockets vertically uh, after takeoff. We can do picture-in-a-picture picture on the Apple broadcast. I promise <laughs> it's possible. Let me give you a quick A side here because I worked in television for nine years. I did live television for nine years. It's not easy. Like, I know that these guys are these directors and these producers are doing stuff, you know, uh, in a, like a bang-bang kind of way. And you have to have live communication. You have to know what's going on. And everybody's got to be, like, on point, right, to get it right. Um, I always argued with people that I worked with because they would try to like make it fancy. You know, we're doing a television newscast, right? Hey, let's have the anchor. Let's let's do three different TV screens over here that have a graphic in them. Then I'm gonna have the anchor do a cartwheel and then stand at the desk here. And we're gonna pan over here. I'm like, I'm like, here's the thing. Like we're we're doing the news, right? We're gonna give you the, what does action news do? They do the news, they do the sports, and they do the weather. And Jim Gardner just sits there and talks to you, right? Um, it doesn't have to be complicated, right? I think less is more oftentimes, especially in soccer. And I, I sit here, I'm thinking of these directors and these producers, you don't really have to do this stuff. I mean, if you want it to be clean and you want everybody to, um, you know, to be able to watch a, um, watch a game, I mean, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to do any kind of cutaways at all. Just, just keep it on camera one and let them go left and right. And that's all anybody's asking for. Like give us a little more noise from the supporter section. Keep it focused on the match. You mm -hmm. want to, you like, say less like let the let the ambiance be the thing that's actually the only the only criticism i'll have of the other the broadcast before this one it's just a lot of chatter especially the miami games like there mm -hmm. wasn't a single minute single second of breath but mm -hmm. I, yeah i thought this broad, broadcast was the worst of the bunch for sure um and the most homery like the announcers were obviously former montreal guy. one of them was a former montreal guy very homer kind of things like all right mm -hmm. well look if we can't sync up the away announcers give us some some unbiased. I realize that they might know the team better. It's fine. We'll get it. We'll get it right. Yeah, it's tough. They're going to have to kind of figure that out because, like in the game, game number one, Danny Higginbottom had been doing right the team team. for the last two years. He wasn't exactly a homer, but now he's going into it thinking, "Oh, like I'm neutral. I'm calling this as a neutral." You know, I, this is you know whatever in his wired in his brain before that he's got to change it. You know, Sebastian with two, by the way, um, saw him at the Starfinder event the other night. Cocktails with a kick. Shout out to Alex for having us out there. Mm. Um, he said he's going to be doing Apple TV in French. Awesome. Um, so he's going to be doing oh, a French, French broadcast. We got to talk about the union's broadcaster development pipeline. Cause we're on like 10 broadcasters now <laughs> that have come, come through this place and are on national broadcasts. Now. I know. I know it's crazy, isn't it? But good for him. I thought that's like a perfect role for him, you know? Yeah. Um, 
you know, because he's because you got Montreal, right? I mean, you got people overseas who are watching it. I mean, French is, I think, the third biggest language in the world. So, I mean, that's like a perfect thing for it. But yeah, I mean, especially with Montreal, like they're going to have to get, you know, I don't know how they mix it in, um, you know, because they they're rotating broadcasters for everybody else. So that's that's something interesting to keep an eye on for the English language Montreal broadcast at least. But um, I do have one more macro level observation for that game. We'll save it for the end though. Alianza. Um, I, my takeaway was just they handle business at home. Um, I, I, that red card, it is what it is. It's kind of a clumsy foul on the back end there. But uh, I think they did what I expected them to do, and that was pretty much my takeaway from that. Yeah, same. I was surprised it was as tidy as it was. And um, honestly, I was in the press box for the second leg. That was definitely a foul, definitely a red card. But it looked to me like Harriel was offside first, and they didn't go to mm-hmm. VAR for that. So I must have been wrong. Hmm. All right. I'll have to go back and look at that then. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Perez scores the two goals at the end. Yeah. The penalty kick there. I, you know, originally I was sitting here thinking like, oh God, we're going to have to watch another 45 minutes of like the Chicago game where they struggle to kind of create up a man. And luckily they got that goal. Um, you're right. Uh, right before halftime there. And it was crazy too. Cause they, they, um, I don't know. I want, maybe I wanted to pat myself on the back here or whatever, but the thing that I was watching when I watched that first leg and I was watching Alianza's marking on the corner kicks is they were just playing straight man to man. And they didn't have anybody on the post. They didn't have anybody zonal or whatever. And I'm like, hey, if the Union win a – you because know, Chris Donovan had that free header in the first leg. And I'm like, hey, if they wriggle free and they win a 1v1 here, I mean, there's nobody on the post and they got no zonal guys, so they might be able to capitalize on this. And yeah. then, uh, sure enough, Damian Lowe gets free and he wins a one-on-one and he hits it in the back post. I'm sitting here thinking, like, who do I tell – uh, who do I send this video to to get like a job somewhere? You know, how, how do I get a how do I get a job on the technical staff? You know, but it was it was it was you know they it was good to see them get that because I was like oh god save us from another forty five of them trying to just go down the right flank and and shove a square peg into a round hole. No, and I think the one thing that counterintuitively played into their advantage on Tuesday was how bad the weather was. Like it was so windy that it stopped me in my tracks, and I'm like six two, buck ninety five. Like I'm not a small dude. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> And so, like, they had to play the ball on the ground, and it actually looked like they could do that. And I think, on one hand, if you're forced to do that, it changed your game. On the other hand, when you're forced to do that, you have to change your game. And I thought the Union did a great job of that, and hopefully it unlocked something for them. And maybe we saw it in Montreal, which is like, hey, remember, you got a bunch of dudes who can play two-touch rondos all over the field. Maybe mm-hmm. we let them do that every now and then instead of just blasting a ball to the, you know, behind the pressing fullback or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, did you watch the second leg of uh, Atlas and Olympia? No. They, uh, my takeaway there was that, I, I well, first of all, Olympia just kind of sat back and tried to park the bus. They got the 4-1 in the first leg, and they just kind of sat back and defend, 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 and then Atlas got the first goal, and I'm like, all right, whatever here. But uh, I, I don't I, – I, I think the union can beat that team. Uh, you know, if you go down to for the life of me, I can't remember who's got the first leg at home and who's got the first leg. Away. Uh, the, but, the game on the 12th is away. So I think the union have the first leg at home. Okay. All right. So you got to try to pound these dudes at home and then just, just defend away. But I don't, I don't, I don't, Atlas has not been very good in the league right now. I don't look at Atlas the same way that I look at Tigres. I don't look at Atlas the same way I look at club America. I don't look at them the same way I look at, well, Pachuca's out, but you know, Pachuca of years past, you know, too. And, and so I, but I don't, I see a path here that's, that's tenable. Okay. Um, Alianza, Atlas, maybe LAFC. And then the final, like I, if you told me that is at least as challenging, not anymore than having to go Saprisa, Atlanta, Club America, 
from a couple of years ago. I mean, okay. there's no there's no reason why this team can't get to the semis. If you give me a semi against LAFC with that revenge factor, I, I don't I don't see why the Union can't go to the Champions League final. Is that a hot take for me? I don't think it is. No, I don't think so. And if you think about that run from two years ago, like there's just there's only two guys on this team who weren't there. Carranza and Ura, they're the only new guys. Everybody else was there. Mm-hmm. Like to me, continental soccer is as much psychological as, as it is about anything else. Like to go to a, a different country where they speak a different language, where they they play a different kind of soccer in a totally different stadium environment. That's as much like getting over that hump is just as important as playing soccer. And if anything, the union last cycle, we're like, nah, we're not going to change anything. We're going to go to club America. We're going to play our high press. Yeah. We're going to see what happens. So they're certainly going to do it against Atlas. Like no question about it. No, they're built to play these kind of games. You know, the guys have been there before. This group has played at Azteca. They've played at Saprissa. They've played at Alianza. The, the Damian Lowe, Andre Blake, these guys have played CONCACAF games. Alejandro Bedoya's played in the World Cup. This is, not, this is not like throwing lambs to the slaughter here. These guys are used to it. They've been in these big games before. They've played in, in CONCACAF, you know, Champions League before. So so there's there should be no... There should be none of, none of that should be a factor. Um, so I like I like that path, and we'll, we'll see where they are with that. Um, the, the Chicago game, I don't have much to say. I mean, th- that performance was three points. It didn't pass the eye test. They were. I'm interested to see what your story ends up being about how they attacked because all they were doing was just going down the right side in that game. And, of course, they, they finally had their best chance when they switch it over to the left, switch fields, and have Kai Wagner drive across in. But it just seemed like they didn't have any ideas there. I mean, at a high level, Kai Wagner used to do that all the time. Like, it, for from my memory, he used to live in that final third. And then the last two and a half years, they've just been almost 100% right-sided. I think it's maybe pragmatic because, for me, Bedoya is actually the best crosser uh, on the ground in the final third that the team has. Like, you get him into that zone next to the six-yard box where he yeah. loves to be. I mean, he's Those little just, cutbacks, man, that, that just on the ground, like a little 10-yard, 15-yard cutback. Right. And so for me, you want to get the guy who does that the best there. And meanwhile, Mbizo can whip in a great curling ball. Um, and also, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So that that's really high level for me. Yeah, the Chicago game, I was there. I thought it was kind of miserable. It was also super cold. Like, I don't know. A lot of these games, it's like they don't, it's not that they don't count, right? The points all count, but you're playing freezing cold soccer at the beginning of a season. Like, you can't get too caught up in tactics or like, gelling or anything like that it's just it's too early to do any of that stuff you can't draw any conclusions this is what they looked like last year to start you know remember they didn't start of obliterating teams six nothing seven nothing until about halfway through the season you know this is how they started in 2021 where you know they were balancing Saprissa in Atlanta with the league and they got one point out of nine to start I'm not surprised you know I'm really not and I'm, I'm glad you segued into that because the last last point I have to make um on today's episode, but I, I just don't, so I see some of the stuff like on, on Twitter of like, Oh, you know, um, we're cooked, you know, MLS cups, not going to happen again. There goes the shield and all that stuff. Like, Whoa, whoa hold on a second. Okay, we're four games in it's March. What is it? March 20th right now, as of uh, publication of this, I still have post-traumatic stress disorder from this Eagle season where the Eagles were eight and one and people wanted to fire the defensive coordinator. And, you know, the one guy who said he needed like Xanax or something to get him through the season because he couldn't enjoy any of the wins because he was like anxious about everything. I'm like, let, let, let's let, I'm glad. on one hand, I'm like, hey, they have amazing expectations this year. People are dialed in. People want to see this team win. So, like, it's good to have that Philadelphia and people have people on that Philly bandwagon. But like I will the, the day that like 
Philadelphia Union fans turn into Eagles fans, I will end this podcast forever and I will never record again because the one the 100% serious because I'm not like doing this Eagles emotional knee jerk reaction shit with no. fans. Like it's, it's, it's the last, the thing that makes us, the things that makes Philly soccer page, the thing that makes union fans different from every other team sports slash media in Philadelphia is that this fan base and media has always been pragmatic. And the minute that we throw that out, and start doing knee jerk like Jim stings. You know this guy should be benched. This guy should be fired or whatever. We can't look at the game and, and analyze the game properly. Then we're no we're no better than Mikey from South Philly who's calling up WIP to complain about the new defensive coordinator, right? So I just I just don't want no. that to be what we become. And I don't think it will be. I understand like feelings are raw after a loss like that. But like if we lose if we lose that, then we're no better than any of these other doofuses who were like overreacting you know, knee jerking and, and, and doing this emotional stuff. And those are, that's a, that's a step that like we're trying to like move on from in Philadelphia in general. You know what I mean? And, you know, like the, the arguments about Bendick and Blake is kind of like fighting about who's the sixth best, sixth best cornerback on the Eagles. It's like, if that guy's the important guy, we're in trouble. <laughs> uh, but, but no, like I know yeah. you're a West Virginia guy. I'm a Penn state guy. I'm an Eagles guy. I'm a Phillies guy. I'm a union guy. So like, if we add all of that up, like between me and you, there might be like 400 sports seasons in our lifetime, <laughs> which our teams might have won it all. And I think if we add all up between those teams, like you got one Phillies world series, you got one Eagles super bowl, you got zero national championships for Penn state in my lifetime. I think maybe one for West Virginia in your lifetime. Didn't they win one in the eighties? Um, no, we played, we played uh Notre Dame, I think for the national title in like, 80 something and we lost so the major harris era of Notre, of uh, yeah. west virginia football okay so what yeah. we're talking about is objectively two out of 400 seasons give or take in which there was a championship if our yeah. happiness is going to be measured by only being the best team all the time then yeah. you and i should be absolutely miserable people because all the things that we love never deliver for us <laughs> well that's what i was that's what i was trying to say to people about the super bowl this year it's like look you you if if we're measuring success only if if a season is only if a season is only truly successful if you win it all then what the hell are we talking about in Philadelphia we're talking about the 2017 Eagles we're talking about the 2008 Phillies we're talking about the 1983 Sixers I mean like we're not talking about anything you know it's just not realistic to think that like a season can only be successful if there's hardware I know that the union this is the most anticipated highest expectation season the union have ever had there are multiple trophies to win. Um, and I went on the record and said, I think they should, they need to win at least something in order to make this era, this like five-year era of union soccer, like the greatest of all time. Because I just don't, I don't want them to be the 2007 to 2012 Phillies where it's like, Hey, they got that world series, but we all have this like lingering thought in the back of our minds. Like, Hey, they probably could have or should have won another one. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want people to put the asterisk on the COVID shield. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Even though I think that's been disproven by what they've done afterwards to say that that was not a fluke. That was not a one-off. Well, and then you even get to this like second level of that iteration, which is like, yeah, the Phillies beat the Rays, but when they had to play the Yankees, they lost. So like, technically that one against the Rays doesn't really count because the Rays stink and the Yankees are awesome. Oh, yeah. So and it was like, raining and the games were like short and the, you know. Yeah, all yeah. That, yeah, yeah. So now yeah. you're like, okay, they lost to LAFC. So if they win it all this year against like, you know rsl or something like that like no disrespect to rsl you're not lafc or seattle sounders like yeah. anybody that isn't those two teams people are like yeah but by the time i got to mls the cup it didn't even matter because you know like 
Phoenix Rising was there for some reason. <laughs> but it doesn't change anything to me. But that's why I told everybody with the Super Bowl, I was like, look, I, you can't be like ashamed by losing by three points in the Super Bowl to a generational coach and quarterback combination. Like, I just can't, I can't get like depressed about that. I'm, I'm not because I wasn't surprised by it. Whereas it was the same way with the LAFC game and MLS cup because they went down to the wire. They didn't even lose. They didn't even lose. Let's, let's, let's make this an official statement for the podcast. The union did not even lose MLS cup. Okay. It ended in a, in a draw and then it went to penalty kicks. Right. So if those games technically go down in the record books as ties and that game was a tie and they just shit the bed at penalties. Right. So, but, but I'm not going to, I guess to circle back to the original point, I've always looked at Union fans as being different from Eagles fans and Phillies fans and Sixers fans and Flyers fans. And there's there's always been more pragmatism, more measured thought, critical analysis. You know, we're able to have conversation. We're not attacking each other on Twitter like a bunch of idiots. Like I, I argue with enough idiots on there every day that I don't <laughs> need it to be that on on Union Twitter, which which is it's not really. But I, I sense some like chippiness here and there. And it's like, wait, wait, let's just try to. That's the best thing about this fan base, about this like like group of, of union media is that it's always le- it's always level, it's always measured, it's always pragmatic, it's always smart. And you know, if we give into too much of the emotional stuff, then we're no better than you know Bobby from the Northeast who's calling up Angelo, you know. And like that that kind of fan that's like, you know, to use the a phrase of the times, like that's self-harm, like that kind of fandom. It's just not okay. Uh, like part of the reason I came to Philly soccer page, part of the reason I've stayed for like nine years or 10 years, like part of the reason I keep writing despite a full-time job and kids and like all that stuff. Like I actually really enjoy that output. And then the response that I get from the comments, like 90%, 95% is just like really cultured and good. And we're like starting to get some of the jabronis in there now too. And I'm a little worried, like this might be my last year. If this keeps up, I can't handle it. Right, we're trying to, we're trying to keep it a jabroni uh, free environment. I think, yeah. I think the, the funny thing about it too, is that I used to, like I said, I'm, I do this for a living now. So I don't watch like the Phillies and the Eagles, like a, like a fan does, but I still watch West Virginia, like a fan does, you know, and I ten, just 10 years ago, I was that dipshit who my wife then girlfriend at the time bought me tickets to some concert and we're driving down to atlantic city to watch and i'm on my phone the entire time looking at geno smith you know stat updates as we're playing in texas and i'm like yo what am i doing here like at some point you got to like pull yourself out of that and be like you're not going to enjoy it personally if you don't like like look at it from a from a different perspective so like far be it for me to tell any fan how to react or how not to react i just like us to keep it all in perspective and let's not let's not turn into like the lowest common denominator portion of the Philadelphia Eagles fan base, you know, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris Gibbons, everybody from the all three points podcast, Philly soccer page as well. Um, Any final thoughts, lingering stuff that's on your mind that you want to tell the people, Uh, you know, to use this analogy, if you could tell Phillies fans in 2009, how good they had it, but how fleeting it was going to be like, that would be important information for everybody to have because I think it would have made them appreciate that more. So like you're a point about this five-year cycle for the union and maybe, it, maybe it'll be a 50-year cycle. Like we don't know what comes next. But like the fact that we are in the golden era of soccer in the city of Philadelphia means that like, yeah, there's going to be losses like the one in Montreal, but more often than not, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be great. This is, this is the magic. So like sit and embrace it. This is the good part. You do, because you, you never know how quickly it may turn, and then you may end up being the Flyers. So a deliberate pause there so everybody can hang on that and think about that. <laughs> and then you got 12 people, uh, the Dirty Dozen, protesting outside of uh, Xfinity Live to, to sell the team, and 
banging a cowbell. You know, it could, it could be, it could always be worse. So that's, that's how uh, many, that's how many people care about the flyers is that even the protest is just like a couple dudes and some Wawa hoagies. Like that. <laughs> I know when, when, when anger becomes apathy, then, you know, you've kind of uh, lost the, lost the plot entirely. Uh, we're going to keep it on the plot here. Thank you everybody for listening to this episode. Uh, check out Chris's stuff at uh, Philly soccer page. Uh, as well looking forward to um the story about how they attack down whatever flank because i thought it would be even greater than 50 percent down the right but i'm sure we will uh find out soon uh that's it for this episode we will uh we will see you next time